We said at the outset that the book of Ephesians naturally falls into two parts. Chapters 1 through 3 are about the wonderful doctrines of our faith, the great sweeping truths of God's eternal purpose for us, how He saves us through Christ by His grace and His grace alone. And so in those resounding chapters, we are challenged, uplifted, and understand how amazing God is. And then we get to chapter 4, and he starts chapter 4 by saying, so I want you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And he starts from there to talk about all the practical application of the grand doctrines in chapters 1 through 3 and how we are to live this out in our daily lives. And in chapter 4, he moves from a, a manner worthy of the calling we have received to talk about the church. That may sound a little bit different for you. You may not have gone there if you were doing it, if you were writing this out. You might have thought, well, I'd go directly to my personal responsibility, not the Apostle Paul. When he says, I want you to walk a, a life that is uh, worthy of the calling you received, he moves then to how you are part of a body of believers, that you are connected to one another, and the whole body matures and develops as it builds itself up in love when every part does what its job is. And so that's how he ends on verse 16, built up in love as every part does its work. And now in verse 17, he switches to this personal responsibility which is ours as we want to live this life worthy of the calling we have received. And it is verse 17 where I begin reading now. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned. When you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to the former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So as Ronell points out in his testimony, he's asking the question, what would Jesus do? And he's focused on Jesus in decision-making, in everyday life. That's how the Apostle Paul is steering us here. And I want you to get just three things, okay? There's a lot in this passage. There are eight verses. No more futile thinking. That's not futile as in medieval castle. That's futile as in empty or vain, okay? No more futile thinking. Number two, live according to Jesus. Number three, put off and put on, okay? So we're going to go visit those three truths as we work through the text. 
Now, I'm so glad that we can always return to the core message of the gospel, which is what the apostle does here. I heard from Sean Powers this week. He is the president and executive director of Baptist Community Health Services, which is a wonderful Christian ministry in our community. They're going to have 17,000 patients this year. We took the old Carver Center and Rachel Sims and flipped their land value into four clinics in underserved areas. And Hannah Pounds is probably in the house somewhere. She's our chief medical officer. Sean Powers is the director of this work. What he said this time is that we have just received $500,000 in pharmaceutical supplies, especially medicines. He said these have to be given out free to patients who come. This is in the lower ninth the Upper Ninth, and uh, one in St. Bernard Parish, okay? He says, this matches what we have given out so far this year. So this year, Baptist Community Health Services, of which you are a part, because you're part of this congregation and we support it, will give a million dollars of free medicine to people in our community, people who cannot pay for it. Amen. It's terrific. And what I love about Sean is that as he he explains what God is doing, he says it's 100 miracles every day. He says medicine is a platform for our ultimate message, which is Jesus. All right? Don't you like that? Medicine is a platform for our ultimate message, which is Jesus. So Jesus healed the sick. He took care of all those practical needs, and he preached the good news. And we're seeking to do the same. Proclaim in word and deed the love of God and the message of the gospel. And the Apostle Paul wants your life to be in tune with this perspective. That all that you do is a platform for the ultimate message, which is Jesus. How do you get there? Well, no more futile thinking, okay? No more empty thoughts. No more old patterns. No falling back into the old tapes that ran in your brain before you knew Jesus. Paul says, so I say to you, and I insist on it in the Lord. He's being insistent as an apostle, but he is insisting on it in the Lord. He says, this is consistent with your calling as a believer. This is what God is calling you to do, okay? No more. Don't live like the Gentiles do. And here he uses the Gentiles sort of as a a name for all the folks that don't yet know Jesus, They didn't grow up knowing Jesus. They weren't people of the covenant. They didn't understand God's grace. They live in a a mindset of futile thinking. Their thinking doesn't get them anywhere. And it is empty because it is not focused in God. And he describes later on how this futile thinking is darkened understanding, so they have this kind of isolation in their brain. They feel all alone in the universe. There is no God who is leading them, directing them as they make their decisions. They're darkened their understanding. They're separated from the life of God. you got to watch out for those old tapes. Don't live like you used to, he says. Don't think that way anymore. Maybe you grew up in a home where Jesus was not talked about, where where his uh, teachings and the example of Christ weren't prevalent in your home. Well, you may have some default thinking in you, even since you trusted Jesus. If you don't pay attention to your behavior and your words, you may fall back into those old tapes that ran for years in your mind, in your heart. 
And there was a time maybe when your peer group was trying to get some behavior out of you that wouldn't be appropriate anymore. And, and the, the, just the culture in which you grew up as a kid, it wasn't really about God and honoring Him. And if you're not careful, you fall back into those old patterns. And it's sort of the default. Sometimes you get discouraged in your walk with Christ. And you're sort of like the Apostle Peter after he denied the Lord three times. He says, well, who are you? Who am I? I mean, I've denied the Lord, so I can't live this Christian life. Who am I? Well, I guess I'm a fisherman. So he says, I'm going fishing. The only life he knows is the one he had before. And sometimes when you get discouraged, you feel that way. And you fall back into the old pattern. Okay? Don't live like that. Don't think like that. Don't go back to that futile pattern. It's dark in its understanding. It doesn't have the hope that is in Christ. It's not focused on the God who made you. It doesn't live in the gratitude of God's good gift every wonderful day. It's separated from the life of God. It's overwhelmed, the apostle describes, by sensuality. And he even says that they hardened their hearts in this understanding. The ignorance that they developed was in part their fault because they wouldn't listen to their conscience. And they knew things were wrong, but they did them anyway, and then they justified them. And after you justify your sin and you justify the things that you first felt were wrong, you develop a hardened conscience. You become insensitive to what somebody called your better angels. I mean, you're doing that to yourself. If you're walking a path and your conscience pricks you and, you, and it says, you know, this is wrong for you. You ought not to be here. This is not where God wants you to be. And you go ahead and proceed down that road. And you justify your actions because that's part of what we got to do to live with ourselves. You're hardening your heart. Your heart's getting hard. That hardened heart's not good for you. A hard heart, if it really gets hard, won't even work. It can't pump that blood. It's not going to pump life into you. You've got to watch when you violate your conscience and what you know to be true because it's going to harden your heart. And even though they were Gentiles, they had some light in their life about the goodness of God and all that he had created. And the Apostle Paul says, some, it says in one place, just see in the world. And all God's good gifts, you ought to wake up every day and say, thank you, God. When you get to the point where you want to say thank you, but you don't have anybody to thank, you know, you start squashing down the gratitude. Well, this is all just by happenstance anyway. I tell you what, don't harden your heart against the gratitude that just naturally bubbles up in you. That gratitude's a good thing. It's pointing you toward the creator of all good gifts. And it's important to affirm it in your heart, not get hard toward gratitude and humility. I mean, when you know God is a creator, there's a sense of humility about being part of his creation. And Paul starts this, this practical teaching out by saying, you've got to be completely humble and, and gentle. How do you get there? You respond to the presence of God, to the gratitude that wells up in your heart. You don't justify your sin. You don't go against your conscience, all right? No more futile thinking. How do you make your thinking productive? You focus 
on Christ. He says, I insist on this in the Lord. Live in accordance with Jesus. Live in accordance with Jesus. Live in accordance with the truth. Line up your life with the truth that is in Jesus. Now, I want to point out a little bit of wordplay here, okay? He starts out by saying, you heard about Christ. You remember when you heard about him? So I want you to live in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. He uses the term Christ in an isolated way, and then he uses the term Jesus by itself. He doesn't say Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus, which sometimes is used. The word Christ is his title. It means Messiah, the promised one, the anointed one. Where Jesus is the name that the angel told Mary to name the child. Remember? You shall call his name Jesus. Why? Why call him Jesus? He will save his people from their sins. You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now, there's a little bit of nuance here, okay? Christ points to the eternal Son of God who has been and always will be. It is his grand title. It anchors him to us because he is Messiah, promised one for us. But it is lofty in its scope. Jesus is the name of the Word made flesh. John says of the Word, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, all things made by Him, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. We saw Him. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth, okay? So what is the truth that is in line with Jesus? How do you line up the truth with Jesus? Well, Jesus is the incarnate one. He is God in the flesh. He is the one we saw. We saw his grace and his truth. And the scripture says later on, John uh, in chapter 3 says... For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Same term as he used in the first chapter about the word became flesh. We beheld his glory. Glory of the only begotten of the father. And in chapter 3, God gave his only begotten son. Why? So that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. This is the truth in accordance with Jesus, okay? This is the truth that lines up with Jesus. It is the truth that is unfolded by God's incarnation. By the wonderful miracle, the startling event of God becoming man in Jesus of Nazareth. Now there's so much that lines up with Jesus as you think about it. I went to see Roger Melton and actually saw him yesterday. He was my dearest friend when I was a pastor in Houston. A long time ago. He was a chemical engineer for Exxon. Got his PhD from the University of Michigan. A brilliant man. Never made anything but an A. All the way through his education. He was sent to Prince William Sound. To lead the scientific research. On the impact that the Valdez spill. Had on wildlife. In that part of the world. And while he was there. My family and I went up. And we visited him. We stayed in a big old five-bedroom house that Exxon was providing for him. And we, he and I fished for 16 days in the streams and rivers in Alaska. 
And I just love this man. Well, he's, he's got cancer. He's got liver cancer. And the doctors can't do anything more for him. And they told him, you, you may have six weeks to live. When I sat down beside him, he turned to me and he said, uh, what do you think about this, having a funeral before you're actually gone? I said, we're not really doing that. Nobody's saying you're, you're leaving. I mean, God numbers our days, right? Only he numbers our days. Doctors make guesses, and sometimes they're pretty good, and sometimes they're off some. And Roger responded and said, you know, God could still heal me. And I said, absolutely, he can still heal you. God is the God of miracles. But unless God provides a miracle, Roger's going to go to be with him pretty soon. I'd been thinking about what to say to Roger. He was a wonderful Bible teacher. He got saved as an adult after all of his formal education. He came to know Christ. He wrote curriculum for prison fellowship. He went to the prisons week after week teaching the good news. He taught it to our young adults, and many of those young adults came yesterday, and we sat down with folks that we shared Christ with and shared our stories. I told Roger, I said, I got a verse for you. It's from Romans 8, Michelle, where you read. It's verse 32. He who spared not his own son. Talking about God giving his son Jesus to die on the cross. He who spared not his own son, Paul says, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not also with him freely give us all things? You think God's going to get stingy with you now? After he gave up his son. You think God's going to get stingy with you? No. No. It's after this marvelous verse that Paul says, What shall separate us from the love of God? Tribulation? Famine? Persecution? The sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. He says, I'm persuaded Neither death nor life, principalities nor powers, things present nor things to come, height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate me from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus my Lord. That's the truth that is in accordance with Jesus. See, that's the truth that lines up with Jesus. If God, the creator, God sent his one and only son to save you, then you can know nothing can separate you from the love of God. That's how you live your life. That's living in accordance with Jesus. The incarnation unfolds this wonderful truth about God. And so every day I line up my life, my thoughts, my attitudes with the God who made himself flesh in Jesus the Nazarene. Michelle grew up in a Nazarene church. We actually worshipped in a Nazarene church for a while. My father was a, a pastor, interim pastor in a Nazarene church. Why call a church Nazarene? It refers to the incarnation. Jesus lived in a place called Nazareth. So as you make your daily decisions, no more futile thinking. Live in accordance with Jesus. Line up your actions, your words, and your attitudes with Jesus, the one who is God in the flesh, the one who gave his life for you. Line up your life that way. And put off and put on, okay? That's how he concludes. Put off the old self 
with all its deceitful desires. That old self that makes all those promises about how good life is going to be if you just follow all those desires and passions and then you find out the truth, you know, that that way leads to death. You put off that old self with all its deceitful desires and you put on the new self made like God in true righteousness and holiness. There's the stuff you have to put off. You got to purge yourself of some things. That's what the apostle's saying. Now, there's a resistance to purging your soul. People will go get a colonoscopy before they'll purge their soul. <laughs> they will. They'll chug that down. They'll clean out their gastric system. I, I've done it, okay? In fact, you can get teaching on why this is a good thing to do. You got to get purged. I'm telling you now, you got to purge the inner you. And people don't want to do that. For one thing, you got to admit, there's some stuff about me that's pretty icky. There's some stuff in me that doesn't need to be there. I've got some attitudes, I got some vocabulary. I got some ways that I talk. I've got some relationships. I've got some habits. And I know they don't honor God. But some of that stuff you just really love. And you don't want it gone. I insist on this, Paul says, in the Lord. Put off the old self. Put off that old self because... It's deceiving you, and it's strangling you spiritually. And you're not going to get where you want to be with God unless you're willing to turn it loose. The word impurities is an interesting word. It has the alpha privative, what they call the alpha privative in Greek, which means no. And then it's got the main word, which is catharsis. No cleansing. That's why they translate it impurity. Every kind of impurity gets turned loose in our life. And if we tolerate it in this little part of our life, and we say, I'm just going to hang on to this impurity that I know is in me, and my inner spirit is being tainted by this impurity, but I got it sealed off and it's isolated and it won't poison the rest of me. We're wrong about that, you know. If we tolerate an impurity that we have recognized and realized, it seeps its way into all the relationships and dimensions of our life. You can't actually seal this stuff off inside of you. You've got to get rid of it. You've got to root it out and remove it. And that's why he says, not only here but over and over again, put off these things. It's just like taking off the old clothes. You got to take it off. You got to get rid of it. Now, I don't even have to be specific because the Holy Spirit's being specific right now with you. You already know. If you're a child of God, you already know the old stuff, the old self, the behaviors, the way of talking, the way of thinking, and the attitudes. You know they got to go. Maybe you've developed a cynicism that has come between you and people. 
Maybe you've developed an ungrateful spirit. Maybe you've become resentful. Maybe you're getting more and more angry about the world or your life or how life is turning out, and you know these things aren't healthy. The Holy Spirit already has gotten specific with you. Are you going to listen? Put off the old self for the good of yourself and your family, your spouse, your friends. Put off the old self. Paul insisted on it in the Lord. You can't turn your focus on Jesus. You can't live in accordance with Jesus and keep these old clothes. They got to go. And put on the new self. Look, this new self that God brings to you, this new identity in Christ, it is made like God. And the word made new there is the, is the idea of being youthful. It's like the new birth, starting over again. There's a way to start over again, morally and spiritually. You can start over again by receiving Jesus as Savior and living out this new life that he gives you. In fact, the Apostle Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, if they come to Christ, they're a new creation. Old things pass away. All things are become new. Put off the old self and put on this new self. Some people think that the Christian life is all about subtraction. I've got to take out these words. I've got to take out these habits. I've got to take out these attitudes. I've got to get rid of all this stuff, and that's what it means to be a Christian. And so I've got this empty spot in my life because I've taken all this stuff out. That's why it's a put off and put on, okay? It's both and. You've got to both put off and put on. If you don't put on the new self that is created in the likeness of God, if you don't put on the new self and you're just trying to get rid of the old stuff, it won't be spiritually satisfying to you. It'll feel like there's no place to go from there. So the new, the new self is vitally important. And there are two dimensions that are mentioned here, and I think it's worth emphasizing both of them, okay? This new self is made in true righteousness and holiness. So think of true righteousness. The word is a big word, but it can refer to your relationship with human beings, okay? So think of it as being right with people. This new self that you have wants to be reconciled with the people around you. You want to be in loving relationships. You want to have restored relationships if relationships are broken. So true righteousness, truly being right in the mix of humans that are around you, in your family and, and with your friends, and in holiness. It manifests itself in true righteousness and in holiness. And this is your right relationship with God. This is you set apart for God's purposes. So both in the vertical relationship with God and in the horizontal relationships with human beings, the new self is different than the old. So put on this new self that works toward patience and kindness, gentleness, humility, gratitude of heart. Put on this new self that relates to people in these new ways and the new self that is connected to God, seeing yourself as set apart for his purposes. Three things then. No more futile thinking. Live in accordance with Jesus. Put off 
and put on. Bow with me, please. We always have this moment as we bow our heads together where we think about what the Word is speaking to us. Perhaps you just feel drawn by the Holy Spirit to respond to the Word today. Maybe you've never trusted Jesus as Savior and Lord. What a great moment to just say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. Please forgive me for my sin. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me and rose again from the dead. I give my life to you. Would you make that prayer? Would you just sincerely commit your life to Jesus Christ, confessing your sin, receiving his forgiveness? Maybe you've already done that, but you've not been baptized. In just a moment, you can come saying, I want to be baptized and follow Christ in this new life. Maybe you need a church home, or maybe you need to pray with somebody. God, I pray today that we would just listen and respond to the word as it takes root in our heart. In your name we pray, amen.